We are. We are organised, I promise. Very organised. <laughs> so it is good to see everyone here and uh, I certainly appreciate Ron filling in at short notice with me. I think uh, Ron's at a point where he gets a call from me on Saturday or Sunday, he just doesn't answer anymore. But uh, I, I appreciated him answering last week and, uh, and filling in with, uh, with the sermon. So I'm sure you were all uh, blessed by that. <laughs> I'm sure one or two of you were blessed by, by that. <laughs> So we are uh, finishing off this series uh, that I thought was going to be a short series, but uh, we'll, we'll keep running and we'll, we'll finish it by the end of the month. Um, I was hoping to have a new sermon series for the beginning of, of growth groups, but uh, we'll, we'll finish this off. It'll be all right. And uh, then we'll do something new. Uh, just uh, speaking of growth groups, uh, there is down in the, in the foyer there a sign-up for the three growth, group, uh, growth groups that we'll be hosting this uh, next few months. And uh, they have the, the times on them and who to talk to if you have any questions about that. And we would, you know, we would love to just have everybody in, in a growth group. Uh, that, that's certainly our goal. We, we think they're beneficial for getting to know each other, building relationships, as well as um, having discussions about around uh, God's words. So I uh, ask you to consider that. Some of them are, two of them are over Zoom, and uh, at the moment we have one in person. But if we fill those groups, don't think that there's not room for you. We will start another group. Uh, so... The, the, just because there's three at the moment doesn't mean that you have to, to miss out if they happen to fill up. All right. So uh, this is where we've come. We had last week uh, or two weeks off we were ago we were at uh, the park and then last week I was on my deathbed. And uh, so uh, this, I, I thought it'd be good to recap as to uh, where we've, where we've travelled over the previous weeks. And so we started off the week number one just with the idea of good news, right? The, the, our faith and the, the story of Scripture is good news. And sometimes I think we, we don't necessarily do a great job of communicating that, um, that, that we can be um, very dour or, or prudish or, or somber, whatever the word might be. And, uh, and in, in adopting that kind of attitude, uh, we... Even if we feel it ourselves, we don't communicate well the good news of Jesus or of the gospel. So for, for this series, our good news begins really with creation, and not just with creation, but that God is the creator. And uh, from that starting point, that God is the origin of everything, then the rest of the good news flows. We have then... Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, I know we go through the Old Testament in just one week, but it is the idea of fulfillment that uh, the Old Testament is building up to something. Okay? That the God is still speaking to his people and, and setting goals and setting standards and uh, that they're going to be fulfilled, uh, many of them, in, in Jesus. And then... We, we do come to Jesus and we come to, we start with his humanity, that Jesus is human, fully human, as well as being 
fully God. So we call, call, he's referred to as the son of God, but also the son of David, reflecting both of those ideas. We come then to Jesus' death, and that's probably what we're most familiar with when we talk about the good news of the gospel, that, that Jesus died for us, and we'll, we'll touch on these a little later. We, after, of course, the, the good news of his death, we have the good news of the resurrection, and, uh, and then that's even not the end of the story, but that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God on the throne in heaven, and that is good news for us. So this is where we've come. Uh, one of the, the reasons that I've particularly enjoyed this series, from my perspective, uh, is that it gives us an opportunity to expand our horizons, uh, to, to expand our definitions, in a sense, uh, to, to look at the bigger picture. And I hope that uh, over the course of these weeks, we're, we're moving from a, a very specific definition of gospel or good news to one that sees the good news of God in the contours of the Bible as a whole. When we talk about, when we talked about the cross, we saw how the New Testament writers used a variety of descriptions to describe what it was that was accomplished upon the cross. It wasn't just forgiveness. Um, so we, we have all of these ideas there. We have this idea of victory that, uh, that through Jesus on the cross, Satan was defeated. That, that a ransom price was paid for us. That a sacrifice was made for us. That we were substituted. But also that Jesus sets an example of what it is for us to, to love and, and, uh, and to follow, and through that example, we love him because of what he did for us. And so it, it's, it starts with something narrow, but I hopefully moves to something that is bigger in our understanding of what the gospel is, even in relation to the cross. Then when we come to the, the resurrection, we, uh, we saw how the apostles, in their preaching throughout most of the book of Acts, um, more often preach about Jesus' resurrection than about his death. And so sometimes when we hold the cross up as the symbol of the gospel, it certainly is good news, but the cross needs the resurrection. Right? The, the cross's power is contained within the empty tomb, and uh, they need to go, go together. Uh, so most of, of those sermons, as I said, in Acts, um, focus more on the resurrection than on the cross. And I think that would be a little odd for, for us, that usually when we think of, of um, sharing the gospel with someone, don't we want to you know, sort of talk about how Jesus died for us? <laughs> right? we, we go, this is the good news, Jesus died for us and we're forgiven. Right? See how that's on the left-hand side? The died for us and we're forgiven? But on the right-hand side is, no, he didn't just die for us. He, then he rose. He defeated death. Like the good news is that there's more to the story. And so forgiveness is not the ultimate goal of our faith. The ultimate goal of our faith is relationship with God. And, and, and it's the forgiveness that is necessary for that to happen. And so we, we resurrection 
is vital in our understanding of the gospel. So not only when we go through uh, Acts do we find sermons on the resurrection, but I've often heard a summary of the book of Acts as saying that it's perhaps describing the birth of the church, or perhaps it gives us examples of conversions. Um, and, and so I, I want to, again, just expand our horizon here a little bit. When we approach Acts as a history book, we approach Acts looking at stories, looking for examples of different things that happen. Perhaps one of the things we can overlook is um, and the emphasis that the book has upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We might think it has most of its emphasis on the work of the Apostle Paul, but let me give you a, a, a little chart here. And uh, it, This is the number of times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in each book of the New Testament. And um, I tried to make it as pretty as possible because I know not everybody's into charts and graphs and whatever. But uh, the number of times in... Now, I know Acts is a long book, so it kind of has a little bit of an advantage. But that tallest one is the book of Acts. And, and that may be surprising for us when we, we think, oh, it's, you know, it's really about Paul and his travels. Now, if we looked at the number of times... Paul's name was there compared to the Holy Spirit, I'm sure Paul's name would be a lot more. But nonetheless, if you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, Acts is going to be a really good place to, to go and look at. And uh, that, that may be a little bit surprising to us. Um, so if you haven't guessed, our sermon topic this morning is the good news of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take a moment and trace the Holy Spirit through Scripture. Now, I could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, right? Genesis chapter 1, we're told there that the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think it's verse 2 of Genesis 1. And, uh, you know, that, the, it, the word spirit, uh, the, the word for spirit, uh, in, in Hebrew is ruach, and it, it means breath or uh, wind. You know, so it could be like the breath of God. Right? But as we read it back, we certainly understand it as, an, as indicative of the Holy Spirit being present at creation. And uh, we could begin there. We could look at other examples through the Old Testament, but I want to jump uh, through to the prophets and and the written i'm thinking specifically of the written prophets towards the end of the old testament and prophets in general were regarded as men and women of god who had the spirit of god upon them okay but in the old testament the spirit of god was something that came on someone they did something for god and then the Spirit could leave them. Okay, think of perhaps of Samson, right? So Samson was given tremendous power by the Spirit of God. And then he cut his hair and it was gone and then his hair grew back and it came back. We could think of Saul who, who had the Spirit of God upon him that, and he was able to prophesy. And then because of his um, 
wickedness and, and ungodliness, then the Spirit of God left. Instead, a, an evil spirit came and took its place. And so this, this idea of it wasn't necessarily um, a permanent situation. You know, so even the prophets, we don't know that they prophesied necessarily if we look at some of the, the uh, like Jonah, for instance. It's a very short book, right? So if, if God's spirit is on him as a spokesperson, what happens after Nineveh? Does he continue to be a spokesperson or does he just go back to his former job? Uh, it's not necessarily that it was a lifetime uh, career. So, uh, but they... They were recognized as having God's spirit. And as such, they were able to speak with authority for God. So in the written prophets, one of the things we, we see is this, uh, although the word spirit means breath, okay? And, and so God breathed his spirit. You know, remember in Genesis that, that breathing into the dust to form uh, Adam from the from, uh, from the ground, and, and so it's that spirit going into them. But so, so that's one metaphor, it's one image. But the prophets see this second image, and that is that of pouring, as though the, the Holy Spirit is water, and so it will be poured out upon his people. And, and so there's just a, several examples in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and in Joel there about this idea of the, the Holy Spirit being poured. And in these instances, it is when God's people return from exile, when they come back to the land, when they live and worship and honor God and make him their, their priority, make him their God, uh, then he will pour out his spirit on his people. And so this is different because up till this time, the Holy Spirit has just come on particular individuals. It, it, and it wasn't just because they were necessarily great, wonderful, you know, um, five-star Christians or five-star Jews that they got this. It was like, no, you're equipped for this particular prophetic purpose. And so God's spirit is going to grab you and take you, even if, like in the case of Jonah, you don't want to go. Right. The Holy Spirit's got a job for you. And, um, and, and so that was how it, they were familiar with it. And now there's this promise that, hang on, everybody's going to get the Holy Spirit. And that was out there. This is part of what the future, part of what the kingdom of God is going to look like, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of God's people. I want to just give you a few slides here. That's the Old Testament. So we're done with that. Moving into the New Testament. And I want to run through these uh, fairly, fairly quickly. Um, but we look at just some of the things that we're told about the, the Holy Spirit. We see this development, right, from this oh, spirit hovering over the waters, the breath being breathed into humanity at the very beginning, um, soul, you know, and then the prophets, but, and, and then the prophecies regarding the future. But when we come to the New Testament, things change. And they change right from the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 18 of the book of Matthew. Jesus is conceived through the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit gets involved right from the very beginning. Matthew chapter 3 then, in verse 11, John promises a baptism. And, and, and what's interesting is he promises a baptism with the Holy Spirit, 
and with fire. He says, yeah, I've got this baptism of repentance. I love that you're all coming out. This is really good. But there's something better. And what's going to be better is the baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he says. Sure enough, then, chapter 3, verse 16 of Matthew, Jesus comes to be baptized. Who is it that shows up? It's the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's God the Father. There's a voice from heaven. But the Holy Spirit appears at Jesus' baptism as a, as a dove descending upon Jesus. And I believe at that moment came upon Jesus uh, as a prophet and empowered him for ministry. But immediately then in chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus away into the wilderness to be tempted. So we see just how involved the Holy Spirit is in the ministry of Jesus from the very in the life and ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. And then when we come to the very end of the book of uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus now tells his apostles, go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's that baptism, right? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see it there. So this is something that John has, has looked forward to. He says, what's the big difference between this baptism of repentance that you're doing with me and the baptism that's going to come with, with the Christ, with the Messiah? It's the Holy Spirit is the big difference. And so as Christians, we're to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's uh, jump the rest of the Gospels and come to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we, again, it begins, chapter 1, verse 2, Jesus, we're told, instructed his apostles through the Holy Spirit. And I find that really interesting because we might want to say, well, hang on, now, why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Why didn't Jesus just instruct his apostles? But we're told he instructed his apostles through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in concert with Jesus in each step of his ministry. Just a few verses later, verse 5, we're told there that John's promised baptism with the Holy Spirit is almost here, says Jesus. It's almost here. Are you ready for it? This is what you've been looking for. This is the three years of ministry. Some of his apostles had been disciples of John, before they had followed Jesus, they heard what John had said. They heard that there was something better coming. They heard that the Holy Spirit, that, that someone was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Their minds went to those prophecies that in the kingdom of God arrived, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. And they're looking for this. And Jesus now, before he ascends to heaven, right before he ascends to heaven, says, yeah, there's, there's going to be the baptism that, that John talked about is almost here. We turn the page to chapter 2 and verse 4. And now the Holy Spirit fills the apostles, falls on them, kind of like the prophets in the Old Testament, I guess, but falls on them and they, they, they speak in tongues. They have the, the tongues of fire also over their heads and the Holy Spirit has come upon them. How do you explain this? Well, Peter says, let's go back to Joel. And he speaks to a big crowd and he says, everybody here, you know what the prophet Joel said what the kingdom of God was going to look like, right? It was going to look as though the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people, not just on the prophets. He says, this is what you're seeing. This is what's happening now. 
And then we come down through the rest of the sermon and he tells them all that God has done to build to the point where Jesus was crucified. He says, you are the ones who did this. And they're like, this is terrible. What do we do? Because they wanted to be in God's kingdom. They saw the Holy Spirit. They wanted the Holy Spirit poured out on them. They wanted to participate in this. That was what they were you know, they're looking for. And yet they've got this problem where they crucified the Messiah. And so he says, here's what you do. You repent and be baptized. And then you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to join in the party that's happening at the beginning of the chapter, then you need to get your lives right with God. You need to accept Jesus as your king. You need to be, receive his forgiveness. You, to do that, you get baptized, and you, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's the gift that you're going to receive. And I wonder, I don't know about you, but this is how I usually read Acts 2.38. And I suspect many of of us read it this way, right? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And and we we tell that to people, don't we? We say, you want to know how to become a Christian? Repent and be baptized. Okay. And and if you miss that one-two punch, then you're in trouble. And and I think it's important for us to, to know those two words. And and to follow through with them. And the people do need to repent. They do need to be baptized if they want to become Christians, if they want to follow Jesus. But the rest of the verse, like why 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 do we repent and be baptized? So we can get forgiveness of sins and go to heaven, right? No, it's not what it says. So we can get forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, what I think we do, this is how I used to think about it. Um... Repent and be baptized, right? and you'll get the forgiveness of sins, and you can go to heaven, and there's a bonus, right? Kind of like, uh, you know, the set of steak knives that gets thrown in when you purchase something. You will get the Holy Spirit, right? That's like a cherry on top. And, and I think the way that this chapter actually lays out is that it says, no, look, here's the Holy Spirit has fallen on the apostles. Peter says, hey... This is what Joel said. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to be poured out on all people. This is a radical change from the way God's Spirit has been revealed to his people for the past thousands of years. And and this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. This is what the messianic kingdom is going to be, that the Spirit of God will be poured out. And he goes through and he says, God's been working. God's been doing stuff. You guys haven't accepted it. But if you want that kingdom, if you want that Holy Spirit, then you need to repent of what you've done. You need to be baptized as a way of submitting to Christ, as a way of identifying with his death, not not killing him, but identifying with his death and with his resurrection. And when we do that, you'll be forgiven. And because you're forgiven, now you can reach your goal of receiving the Holy Spirit. Of receiving the presence of God in your life in a very intimate way. And so we need to make sure that we read to the end of the verse. (laughs) Because when we just put those two big words in big writing like that, I think we miss the point of the verse. It's as though Jesus died so that we could be baptized. Instead, we're baptized so that we can receive the Holy Spirit.
And forgiveness of sins comes along with that. I think when we look at the big, bigger picture, perhaps looks more something like this. Rather than Acts 2.38 telling us how to get to heaven, it tells us how to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we're told elsewhere, is the down payment, the seal that we have received eternal life. So let me ask you, what is it about the Holy Spirit that is good news? What is it about the Holy Spirit that is good news? Okay, you walk out the door today and somebody asks you that question. And you go, I don't know, but Acts 2.38 says it's pretty good. Everybody there wanted it. Right? I'm just happy with the forgiveness. Right? I'm happy with the forgiveness. That's getting me through the pearly gates. So what is it about the Holy Spirit that is good news? One of the things I've noticed is that when I read the Bible and I'm on the lookout for the Holy Spirit, it sounds different. The Bible sounds different. I notice things that I don't notice at other times. And I'm going to put up a couple of slides and you don't have to study them, but there are a lot of words and they're kind of small. But what I hope we get out of this is a sense of what the Holy Spirit does, how, why the Holy Spirit is good news. Some of these we've already mentioned. But, so Jesus is conceived through the Holy Spirit. But then some of the associations that are made by the writers of Scripture, I think are associations that seem strange to us. Right? So Luke 10, 21, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Right? What is it about your faith that gives you joy? You say, oh, Jesus died for my sins. What about the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit give you joy? Like, how do we, how do we describe that? How do we, do we even relate to that? Acts 1 and 2, we talk about the instructions there that Jesus gave through the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, uh, Agabus stands up and makes a prophecy. Um, he, he predicts. Acts 21. And so these are all things that happen through the Spirit. Um, other Christians in Acts 21, through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul does go to Jerusalem, um, but they, they urged him not to. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I, this is one of my favorites. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through Jesus on the cross, right? Through our baptism, right? How about through the Holy Spirit? That, that the Holy Spirit is a, a, a conveyor of God's love. It, it, God, the Holy Spirit is the container that, that pours God's love into our hearts. And again, maybe we're saying, oh, I, I'm, really? Yeah, how's that work? So, so when we feel loved by God, where, do, where does that come from? It's the Holy Spirit reminding us of that love. Uh, this is our reading. I, did you notice we had the same reading two weeks in a row? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it says there that things from the Spirit, okay, or, or ideas of the Spirit, are discerned only through the Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit helps us to be open to the teaching, to the words that God gives us. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5. 
It says, through the Spirit we eagerly await. How does the Holy Spirit help us wait? <laughs> eagerly. Gives us, perhaps, gives us patience there. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, saved, we're saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Again, if we were, how are we saved? Oh, we're saved because Jesus was born, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus did all the teaching, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was resurrected, Jesus sits on the throne in heaven. Okay, that's good. What did God do? Oh, God sent the Holy Spirit. God sent, rather, Jesus to earth and initiated all that. Oh, did the Holy Spirit do anything? Uh, yeah, sort of Jesus and God. But here, 2 Thessalonians says that we're saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That is the ongoing work in the present to make us holy, to make us more like God, continuing our salvation process. And um, Titus chapter 3, again, saved us through the washing of rebirth, talking there about baptism, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, and so... Again, the Holy Spirit involved in that salvation and, and we see it connected with baptism. That's John's prophecy, right? John's saying that there'll be a baptism that will uh, involve the Holy Spirit. So that's through the Spirit. There's a similar search that said by the Spirit. Um, I, I'm not going to go through all of these, uh, but it's, again, just what we see is the Holy Spirit active in the lives of people, leading them, prompting them, um, directing them, uh, providing power to, to Jesus. Um, chapter 8, verse... Well, let's look at those three those in Romans. Uh, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Okay? So, um, 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Right? It's not up to us to... to take responsibility for adjusting our behavior to becoming more like God. It's the Holy Spirit working uh, in us that that can be accomplished. Chapter 15, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. So we have all these things here, and yet if, I, if we were to say, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Would we say, oh, the Holy Spirit gives me hope. The Holy Spirit gives me joy. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into my life. The Holy Spirit, would, would we, do we even have that sort of language to describe what's going on in our lives? I think mostly we'd talk about the love of Jesus or the love of God. I could be wrong, but that's my experience. Um, Romans 15 verse 30, it says, I urge you by the love of the Spirit to join me in praying. And it could be there that it says the Holy Spirit loves us. It could also mean that the love that the Holy Spirit gives those people for, for Paul. Um, either way, the Holy Spirit is again a conveyor of, of love. But uh, I, as I was looking at that verse, I thought even, it, it's odd, isn't it? We think, oh yeah, God loves me, Jesus loves me. Does the Holy Spirit love us? Hmm, never heard that. I don't think I've ever heard someone tell me the Holy Spirit loves you. And uh, yet, I know that that must be, must be true. Um, justified by the Spirit of our God and baptized by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit unifies us as the kingdom, the people of God. There's a, a lot of different things there, aren't there? I think there's a lot of good news, right? 
You want love in your life? The Holy Spirit will give it to you. You want hope in your life? The Holy Spirit will give it to you. You want joy in your life? The Holy Spirit will give it to you. Having the Holy Spirit in your life makes the quality of your life better. Regardless of whatever else is happening. Because when the Holy Spirit gives us joy, it doesn't mean, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit suddenly made your workplace a lovely place to be. In fact, you prefer to be there than any coffee shop you can think of in the city. Like, it's better than going to the park or going to Seabreeze or going to the beach, right? Just go to work because the Holy Spirit's made your workplace wonderful. And you just get filled with joy wherever you go because the Holy Spirit's in you. Like, that's not how it works. It's rather saying, regardless of where we are, we have joy, we have hope, we have peace because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so this is, I believe, good news. I want to highlight one of these. And um, I, I sort of drew attention to this. But I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Now, this is how, when I read it, right, I think we all summarize it. I like to do this in a Bible class. We'll read it, a passage, and then I'll say, okay, what did it say? (laughs) Right? What did it say? And so if I was to do that, what does this verse say? This This is my answer. Hey, guys, I'm struggling. Please pray for me. Did I miss anything? I mean, I didn't miss much. I only missed the Lord, Jesus, Messiah, right? I only missed the Holy Spirit and I only missed God, right? So (laughs) Paul, in in his letter, in this verse, has all three of them included in what's going on, in the prayer that he wants, in the circumstances in his life. And yet when I summarize what the verse is about, he's saying, oh no, just please, you know, I'm having a hard time, pray for me. Notice how easy it is to, to take the Holy Spirit, to take God out of our lives. To say, I'm going through hardship, can you do this to help me? And I I know the praying is to God and we're asking God to intervene and do something, but nonetheless, the way we talk about it is to talk about it in a way that doesn't include God. And and so when we read the, the Bible and we're looking for the Holy Spirit, you know what, we're going to see the Holy Spirit a lot more because now if I'm reading this verse looking for the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to say, oh, what is the Holy Spirit doing? What's Paul saying the Holy Spirit is doing here in this situation? Somehow the Holy Spirit is inspiring, motivating people to pray for him. And, 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 so, and, and the Holy Spirit is bringing love and, and creating love. He's reminding them of the love and perhaps the unity that they have because the Holy Spirit is, is connecting them to each other. And because of that connection and because of the, the common love that we experience in the Holy Spirit, he's like, guys, will you please pray for me? Pray to God for me that my situation can improve. Okay? And, and so sometimes our summaries, because as we read, we summarize, and we go, oh, that's a detail. We leave things out. Look how much I left out of that summary. And so I think we all do that. If we're looking for the Holy Spirit, the Bible sounds different, just as that verse, I believe, sounds very different. When we look at all the things the Holy Spirit can do in our lives takes a lot of pressure off us right 
takes a lot of pressure off us. Am I responsible for generating hope? You know, can, can, do I like, need to do positive thinking? Do I need to read my Bible from cover to cover every month? You know, where do I find hope? Do, do I have to, am I responsible for doing that and finding it in the pages of Scripture? It's like, no, God has given me the Holy Spirit who gives me hope, right? Because of that presence in my life. Um, and, and so the Holy Spirit will, will help us make decisions, will help guide us. And so the good news Part of the good news of the Holy Spirit is the pressure that the Holy Spirit takes off of us. In John 16, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples and described the Holy Spirit as a comforter, a helper, an advocate. It's sort of a complicated word. could be any of those things. But they're all good things. Would you like a helper? <laughs> yes, I've got a mountain of dishes at my house. Right? <laughs> Would you like a helper? with that relationship? Would you like a helper with that illness, with that stage of life? With, would you like a comforter? Would you like somebody to stand up for you, to advocate on your behalf to God, to, to take your prayers and intercede for you? They are good things for us to have in our lives. Elsewhere we're told that both the church as a whole and Christians individually function as temples because the Holy Spirit lives within us. God is always present with us. Because the Holy Spirit is with us, God is always with us because the Holy Spirit is God, right? And so there's nowhere we can go that is apart from God because God lives within us. The good news of the Holy Spirit is all that he does for us. It's the presence of God within us and it's the way that the Spirit changes our lives. I want to close with a very familiar passage about the Holy Spirit. Um, perhaps you'll recognize this. Um, and sometimes when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we can see this as a to-do list. Right? We can see it as something that puts pressure upon us. Oh, okay, if I'm, if I'm saved and if... I therefore have the Holy Spirit in my life. Then I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be peaceful. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kindness, goodness, faithful, gentle, and exhibit self-control. And, and if I can't do that, then maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. If I can't do that, maybe I'm not really a Christian. If I, if I can't do that, maybe I'm disappointing God. If I can't do that, remember the Holy Spirit is given to us at our baptism. And, and as we invest in our relationship with God. This is the fruit of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not the fruit we have to show in order to get the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. And, and so we can say, well, well, you know, Peter, you're not really a very joyful person. You're a bit grumpy. Yeah. You should see me if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, right? right? Yeah, Peter, you're not very gentle. You know, I saw you playing soccer the other night, and you weren't, you weren't gentle, and you got in that guy's face. Yeah, you should have seen me if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, right? Because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to make us who God wants us to be. And that's an ongoing process. And so these are the traits that the Holy Spirit brings when 
We make Jesus king of our lives. So I want to close just by reading uh, this, uh, a paragraph from, from this book that I've been basing this sermon series off. I once spoke with a retired army top sergeant who had taken an interest in religion. I visited him with a pastor who explained to him how the blood of Christ atoned for his sins. The man responded that he could not follow Jesus until he knew he could live a Christian life. The pastor said that he did not have to live a Christian life because Jesus would forgive him. The man replied that he did not want to be a hypocrite, to which the pastor replied that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to cover any sin that the man might commit. The man remained steadfast in his resistance. He was not going to follow Jesus unless he knew he could live up to what the commitment involved. He went on to say that he believed in God, the Bible, prayer, miracles, Jesus, his death for our sins, the resurrection, and the second coming. He also believed that he was going to hell because he would not let Jesus save him. I then realized that this man knew nothing of the role of the Holy Spirit in making it possible to follow Christ. Christ changes us and begins to live his life through us. This was the sergeant's real spiritual issue. When he understood the good news of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he began to cry, for he had found his saviour. I want to encourage you today that if you have trouble articulating the good news of the Holy Spirit in your life, to, to invest in that, study it, think about it, talk to me, talk to someone else. If, if you don't know what it means, if you've never considered that you need the Holy Spirit in your life, that the Holy Spirit can, um, if you've never um, followed Acts 2.38 and said, yes, I want that, I want forgiveness, and therefore I do repent, I do turn my life around to following Jesus, I will be baptized and make him my king, then you can do that. Okay? That's available to all of us. God's Spirit is poured out on all people, young and old, men and women. And so uh, that, that's an invitation for you today. Talk to me, talk to, to someone else here that you trust, and uh, it's worth um, investigating. It's worth spending time thinking about, and, uh, and it's worth giving your life to Jesus.